0: From the lucid fringe ravings from the lucid fringe musings from an unposturized life improvised on the front line of love and Welcome, I'm Semeric Yarrow. Today on Ravings from a Lucid Fringe, Cape of Sounds. A few remembered riffs from the 90s. Summer, 1995. I'm dancing to indie Britpop in a sweaty London student club, and my DJ friend tells me, we're so lucky to live here, we have the best music in the world. And I agree, briefly. Probably after a little too much to drink. Britain in the 90s. At the time, apparently it was the only place in the world where the average bloke thought his country had a better entertainment culture than America. Perhaps nowadays South Korea feels the same, and K-pop is indeed a creatively brilliant package of music and dance and shiny colours. A little soulless, perhaps. Plenty of creativity, after all, goes into creating high-tech shopping malls. Britain, in the 90s, had so much more sophistication than that Eurovision stuff we thought, and wasn't as cringy as American pop, and we knew little of the many, many sophisticated American genres that outshone it. So we had it all from our myopic perspective. Except, not really if you looked beyond competing in the world of English language media attention that dominates the world of music. A few months later, I'd left the country, in search of more dynamic, edgy sounds with a different kind of heart. Well, I just wanted to get the hell out of London, and Cape Town in the then New South Africa was calling. In Cape Town, I discovered a bunch of African music that the Cape Town indie scene referenced and Mad Chester had never heard of. The first musician I sat with was the sensitive but superficially cynical trombonist Yanni Fantonda, who shared Vinduk beers with me at the bar of the Baxter Theatre Centre, a late-night hangout for musicians just below the South African College of Music. Yanni had been the only long-haired whitey playing with the African jazz pioneers, among other local greats, and had choice things to say about the way music thrived in the country in spite of mainstream indifference. In the 1980s, there was both a sporting boycott of South Africa and a cultural boycott, but most white South Africans only cared about the first of those. South African musicians, already largely ignored by a media that was much more enamoured of American dross, had to squeal between the cracks. Squeal extraordinarily they did, much of it recorded on long-lost cassettes. This was back in the late 80s, when the Genuines, featuring wonderful, terrifying keyboardist Hilton Schilder, played with chirs, a cape word for serious gut-heart groove. What is the cape sound? Well, some of it is the gumma beat heard at the Tvira Nivajar parades, some of it other sounds from streets more eclectic than Dixie. For dollar Brand, Abdullah Ibrahim, it was that historic edge mixed with something raw born from District Six before the forced removals. Mac Mackenzie, the Genuines front man and son of a great Gumma banjo player, had so much ghirs he later persuaded the Swiss to let him fund the classically inflected Cape Town Gumma Orchestra, which I played with, a typically Capetonian mix of the formerly polished and the raw. Ian Herman, the genuine's drummer, went on to work with Tananas, a magical trio I listened to first in a packed auditorium at my first national arts festival in Grahamstown near the end of the 90s. The other members were Steve Newman, a rippling minstrel of a guitarist, and the soulful Mozambican bassist Guito Boloi, who died tragically some years later in Cape Town. Their soundscapes floated out into a crowd loving the juicy energies they were unleashing. My odyssey continued into falakuti horn sections, strung onto jangly guitars, all part of a multiracial scene including a fair number of pale-faced musicians who knew a lot more about quaila and umbakanga than anyone I'd met before, and a hell of a lot more than me. At Ruby in the Dust in Observatory, I jammed with the firing squad's great reggae-inspired sounds and others long lost in the haze. In Ottery, wannabe improvisers gathered at Swingers, a music club whose name we might have chortled at, but Alvin Dyers led some great swinging jam sessions there. Meanwhile, at the Galaxy Nightclub in Rylands, the heart of the middle-class coloured district, crowds packed the place to listen to top-class jazz acts, like the late great tennis axe player Winston Mankunku. I'm not sure jazz had such popularity anywhere else in the world. Winston was a beautiful, humble guy who played into your soul, his music rich in township church harmonies but deeply aware of global jazz forebears. He didn't leave for exile like better-known South African jazz luminaries and died early in the new millennium, underrecognized globally like so many other musicians from the global south. Sharing a stage with him for a series of gigs in 1998 was a serious highlight for me, who'd been in the country less than two years at the time. And, of course, it was all in the open, unlike in the 60s, where he'd performed at Cape Town City Hall, behind a curtain, and under the false name of Winston Mann, to evade official suspicion of his multiracial group. Typical both of the petty injustices of the old days, and of the spirit of musicians to play together anyway. Of course, there was also a mainstream scene, veering between class and cheese, a little left over from colonial days, perhaps. My own grandfather probably fell into this category, playing semi-amateur orchestras on the continent and ending his life as the conductor of a provincial South African symphony orchestra. For years, the go-to brass repairman in Cape Town was ex-metropolitan policeman Ed Backhouse, a trumpeter who kept himself on the straight and narrow, despite dabbling financially in the shady side of Cape life. His landline number, memorably, was sixty-nine, sixty-nine, oh, sixty-nine. Plenty of the young white jazz musicians I met turned out to have pommy dads that learnt their trade in the British music world and polished it with too many beers, holding non-combative positions in South African military bands. This was also where the young white male brass musicians I met had seen out their compulsory years of conscription. Yanni, by contrast, had tried to escape to the UK to avoid fighting in the apartheid army. After a night in a British prison, he'd been evicted, but found refuge for a while in Amsterdam before coming home and staying under cover. Such days were past, but I still found my way into the more rebellious ends of the pop scene via bands like the Dynamics, whose rehearsal room filled with the smoke of intense Swazi zoll, but also had an epic underground pedigree. My flatmate played the trumpet with them, when he wasn't tending the tree growing through his bedroom wall in our infamous musician's party house under the mountain. One night we performed at the city council offices for a matric ball, the very Americanized end-of-school party for middle-class South African kids. Another night on a dust bowl in the middle of nowhere in a little Karoo, where I ate fetcook for the first time and hoped my fingers would never get that podgy. No ID and I did a little alien dressing up now and then, in the time-honoured South African manner, repurposed tinfoil from the brie. The lead singer, Nadia, was half Belgian, half Congolese, and we floated between festivals and a regular gig for the Nouveau Riche at Kennedy's Cigar Bar in Longstreet. Our tenor sax player, Nick LaRue, had a deep understanding of music, but also that quiet commitment to social change that rarely came up in conversation. In the 80s he set up a mixed jazz club in the grey area of Musenberg, where I now live. His words were breathy tones, his last hours spent in a garden with the smoke and the magic of the African night sky. One of the festivals No ID played at was in Rustler's Valley in the Free State, a magical setting next to sacred hills and caves where Joburg hippies would congregate close to Sangorma's in ceremony until fire ripped into the buildings in the early 2000s. This was where I first heard the sounds of electronic beats reverberating off ancient cliff walls, and I was never too certain I liked invading the quiet of the wildlife like that, but still, there was a sense of community forming on the crest of the melody, rather different to my first night in Joburg itself, spent at the Summit Club in downtown Hillbrow. The Summit Club in the 90s was known for its boxing matches, and also for being a place where white businessmen came to pick up black prostitutes. I knew none of this when I came in with some young women from Cape Town to listen to our friend, another trumpeter, Marcus Wyatt, who has thankfully gone on to much better things, playing jazz standards on a stage that was dominated by a stripping pole, unused that night. It felt far from those rainbow gatherings in the hills. In those heady pop days I also did some moonlighting with the honeymoon suites, whose outfits were as original and ever-changing as their brilliant pastiche songs. Meanwhile, other acts I watched included the young guitarist Albert Frost heading out with the Blues Brews, a semi-ironic Afrikaans take on all things blues with a great horn section who had also just wrapped up playing with the Truly Fully Hey wow band. That band's name captured cape hippy slang. Truly Fully Hey Shoo Wow. And its innovative sound was prog rock meets African beats meets jazz funk sensibilities. I just missed their last gig, but it wasn't long before I met the crazy, wonderful genius behind their sound, pianist, guitarist, songwriter David Ledbetter. Dave emigrated to the old RSA as a small child and grew up in culturally deprived springs on the East Rand, a tough industrial place by all accounts, which left its mark. It wasn't only Dave that was marked. His contemporary, James Phillips, was a groundbreaking Springs musician whose music had influenced the anti-conscription movement. James died young, shortly before I arrived from London, like so many beautiful performers. Dave also had a Springs edge, and among a bunch of bad jokes he shared plenty of stories, such as the tolerance he'd had to have for the live-one-day-at-a-time lifestyle of Cape Flats players. The great, when he hadn't taken too much of something, alto sax player Robbie Yanson, borrowed Dave's car for a quick trip once in the 1980s. And in those pre-cellphone days, Dave had to get his kids to school other ways for the next week. Robbie finally turned up again and returned the car as if nothing had happened. Outside of his stories and his humour, I loved Dave for the way he heard things. He took some of my songs and instantly found voicings on a piano that sounded much hipper than what I'd written. In true Dave fashion, though, they were recorded on an ancient floppy disc, long since lost along with any means of playing the tracks. As a good mutual friend once said, if Dave had grown up in the north of England where he was born, he'd have been as famous as Sting, or at least as recognised for the quality and eclecticism of his music. But he grew up in Springs, so he was Dave. Until his tragic demise in a car accident a couple of years ago, caused by some foolish Englishman. He was the unsung hero of a lot of South African musicians, as exemplified in his tribute concert, when 90% of the large audience were from the music scene themselves. And what an extraordinary retro evening. Jacques Brel covers, Bulgarian accordion, a reformation of the Truly Fullies, echoes of Broadway show tunes with a distinctively South African satirical edge, and sweet, intense, small-band jazz capturing cape sounds, among others. A beautiful tribute... To yet another passing star. His cousin spoke of a dream where Dave told him he was passing beyond the quantum field into what lies beyond pure music. These were some of the people and sounds that awaited me in my new home in the later part of that decade of Britpop and it's what made me stay. I like Wonderwall as much as the next nineties student or current teenager but there was an honest breadth in the music of this outlaw country. They gave me a new breath of life. Ravings from the lucid fringe. Ravings from the lucid fringe. Music from an unposturized life.